Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I are here with a very special guest from Arkansas this morning. My daddy, Bruce Bond, is with us. Daddy got rain Sunday, big rain. We were talking, and he says, hey, y'all need to do some more of what we call the Why Ag episodes. So that was one of Tom's ideas that he had last year. And then so Tom and I were talking this morning. Tom said, you know what? We really need to talk to a guy that's been farming for quite some time and get a perspective from a gentleman like that. And I said, well, hey, hey, I think you said, by the way, it rained a lot. My dad's not doing a lot right now. I said, well, that would be a good choice right there. Because those of us that know Mr. Bruce well know that he didn't necessarily intend to do this. And he likes to talk. (laughs) (laughs) And he's not going to say anything now that you've said that. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoy listening to y'all's podcast. Well, we appreciate you saying that. It's nice to have somebody in here. And it definitely, we thought that your perspective would be fresh because it's not the side of things that we've taken on that particular topic. Well, I've been thinking about doing it for a while. I thought about it back in the spring. And then when you said this morning, hey, somebody that started off not farming and then started and now has been doing it for quite some time, I thought, man, if Tom's kind of tracking with me on that, I think it's a good idea. Well, it helps to get a generational perspective because things seem to have changed in farming. But I think most people would indicate that, that it's generational, that people have done similar things. But I think it's good to kind of circle back and have those conversations about those things. It gives good perspective. And definitely, I think Mr. Bruce will have some phenomenal words of wisdom about how younger folks should consider things, at least when making decisions. I know that that's always helped me. And it definitely, you know, the respect of your elders is really important, continues to be important. We'll get to how you got to where you are now. So you've been farming my whole life. Lots of stuff changed. Over that time period, what is your favorite tractor? My favorite tractor? It was a John Deere 4640. I bought it in, of all years, 1980. A young guy farmed one year and lost out. So I bought that tractor. I put a good driver on it, a careful driver. And I kept that tractor 12 years, and I got within $10,000 of what I paid for it new when I traded it off 12 years later. I don't remember any major breakdown. I don't even remember hardly any breakdowns on that tractor. It just was a good, solid tractor. And it's not that we didn't use it. I mean, we had the hippers on it, and, uh, you know, we put it in some tough stuff. It was not a spray tractor, but it was the braking tractor and those type of things, and I kept it 12 years. Tom, what I remember about that tractor is it had about a quarter turn of slack in the steering wheel, <laughs> and so he said he hipped with it. Road markers, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and I can picture him doing this on some big, long rows. He would, like, get square in that seat and, like, plant his feet in the floorboard so he had his back pressed all the way up into the seat and he'd have both hands on that steering wheel and he'd just snatch it back and forth all day holding it on the mark on those row markers. That's right. <laughs> so that's I don't know why I remember that, but that's what I when he said that tractor, that's what I envisioned 
uh, in my memory from that tractor was him snatching that steering wheel back and forth, trying to stay on that marker. So, Mr. Bruce, you know, that's it's fantastic to have you in here. I mean, it's been a while since we've talked, you know, the whole COVID thing and all the rest of that. We'll just leave that as it is. But why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and where you grew up, and then we'll hold off on some of the things about what your intentions were. But give us a little background on yourself. I grew up in uh, northwest Arkansas, a little town called Ozark. I grew up on a row crop and cattle farm, small operation. I have two older brothers that my parents wanted to go to college, and they were just trying to get out of high school. And so they really encouraged me to go to college. And so to please them, I went to college. And, and I decided that before I, I went to school, I would pick out a major. And I was in the library one day just looking through college catalogs. There was a curriculum for forestry, University of Arkansas, Monticello. Back in those days, it was Arkansas A&M College. And I thought, boy, that sounds really interesting. I like the woods, like to hunt. And so uh, I came to Monticello in 1965, enrolled in forestry, graduated in 1970, took a job with Georgia Pacific. I worked in Arkansas for uh, a little over a year, and then I uh, was transferred to Texas to operations they had down there. I worked there four years uh, with Georgia Pacific. My father-in-law was a cotton farmer in the Portland area, and he gave me an opportunity to come home and farm. Uh, but this time, we had one child and one on the way, which was Jason. So we decided to get closer home and started farming. That was 1974. I've been right there in that same spot ever since. I guess this is maybe 48 crops. Been farming on my own since 1977. And, uh, you know, I'd have to say that I wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to do that without my father-in-law's help, and I much appreciate that. And so today we farm some of his land. Being a forestry major, I think, is one thing. I fell in love with raising cotton. I'd never seen cotton until I moved to southeast Arkansas. And that's the crop I enjoy uh, growing. We also raise soybeans and corn, but cotton's the crop we like. Well, that doesn't seem to be a, a stretch for most people. I think we roll through this podcast studio, and I know talking to Jason over the years, I think that's the one he remembers the most growing up is growing cotton. And, and I think most of us that moved to this part of the country, I think that's something we all really respect and definitely grow to love over time. It was something I knew absolutely nothing about moving here when I did. But I think it's interesting to hear your perspective. So you really, you had no intentions of going into row crop farming at all. You, you were set on going into forestry. Right. Other than, than having your father-in-law really develop that interest in you, first and foremost, then, it was the family perspective and being closer That's to right. family. Yes. I want, we wanted closer to our families. And uh, so we had the privilege, Jason had the privilege of seeing his grandparents every day or one set of his grandparents. We were close enough to my parents that we could go home four hours. That was really the thing that uh, was most important to us. Well, and I think the interesting part about that is I think the thread that we discuss in agriculture so much that's woven through a lot of the conversations that we have are that lots of family members don't want somebody 
that's their child to go into row crop farming or farming in general because they don't want them to to have necessarily the struggles that they did from an economic standpoint. So how did you how did you make ends meet those first few years? Well, we just tried to only spend what we needed to spend. As Jason says, I like to talk. So I started farming on my own in 77, and that was a really dry year, and 78 was an even drier year probably. And then 1979 came along, and in 1979, uh, you could throw a cotton seed out on concrete, I believe, and it would have made two bales of cotton. And I thought, look at here, how easy this is. 79 was just the, the perfect year. So in my wisdom, and you talking about being old and wise, well, in my wisdom after 79, I went from six-row equipment to eight-row equipment. Went from one cotton picker to two cotton pickers and rented another three or 400 acres of land. After 79, everything's easy. And then wham, 1980 hit. And uh, the 40-something days above 100 degrees temperature we had a few wells, not much pipe, and we started trying to irrigate. So 80 was the financial eye-opener for me. It told me, hey, you better figure things really close because there can be another 80. And so 80 was bad. Maybe the one bright spot on 80 was the price for the crops. I sold some cotton for 90 cents a pound. Didn't have many bales. But we got 90 cents a pound, sold soybeans for $9 a bushel. When you're only making three bushels an acre, uh, that doesn't go very far. 81 came along, and 81 was not as hot, almost as dry, but the price, the bottom fell out of the market in 81. And so, actually, we had two years there of a, a double whammy. I tell folks, it took us 11 years financially to get over 80, 81. And I think that was one of the best things that ever happened for me. I found out you can't throw a cotton seed out there and it'll make two bales. It might only make a half a bale. And you better have your business set up to handle that. I'm not going to say I've done a perfect job of that, but uh, we're still farming. That was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Of course, 1980, uh, Jason's six years old. I got a little tractor, and we're, we're laying pipe, so we put him on the tractor to drive the tractor. Uh, we had to throw dirt clods at him to wake him up, but that's the family thing. He's out there, and uh, we could walk along beside the tractor. It's an open-top tractor. We could drive it, but he was out there with me, and that was one of the main things that I wanted. And that was, a, that was his first year to go to the farm and, and start helping a little bit. And I bought that tractor specifically for that. You being a farmer, growing up on the on the farm there, then basically deciding not to farm, Mr. Bruce, what was your suggestion to Jason? You definitely instilled a hard work ethic in him. I've known Jason ever since I got to this station. That's the one thing I'll always say about him is that he's one of the hardest working people I know. What really inclined you to not suggest that he go into a row crop farming operation? Uh, my wife and I, his mother, uh, we didn't want him to have to struggle like we had struggled. And there's not anything wrong with the struggle. I'm not, that's just part of it. I'd seen my parents struggle on the farm. I'd seen 
my in-laws struggle. We encouraged uh, Jason and his sister to get a good education so they would not have to struggle like that. We still think that was the right decision that we made, but we, we struggled with that. We struggled. Did we make the right choice for them? When we encouraged them to get an education, we did not realize at the time that it was going to be advanced degrees <laughs> and, uh, and everything. But we're proud that, you know, that they did. And they, somewhere along in there, their goals became different than our goals. And their goals were so much higher, so much further along than what we thought about. And that's what I really enjoyed watching as Jason, you know, the day he came home and he said, I'm going to get my PhD. And I thought, wow, we don't have any PhD folks in our family. <laughs> and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. So we, we encouraged him. Now, there was a struggle to do that. I'm glad I got to walk with him through that process. I think that's, that's definitely a proud moment to be a father when something like that happens. And I mean, I had very similar conversation with my father. My father was the first person in his family to go to college, so I and therefore was the second. Yeah. And then, you know, I did the bachelor's, master's, and PhD, and my brother did pretty similar track. He skipped a master's, went straight to PhD, and just did five years of that. So that's definitely been a conversation, and that was never anything our parents encouraged us to do. That just is how things kind of went. But I, I think it's interesting to hear you say and talk about the struggle, and I think that's something that – we've definitely touched on in numerous episodes is that it's not only a financial and economic hardship, but that sometimes leads to the mental health issues and everything else. And I think that being willing to discuss those things is really important because in a lot of cases, there shouldn't be any shame in that. Yeah. And I think it'll, sometimes people think that there is just an inherent shame in having those conversations. But I think that I've never been shy about having conversations with folks um, about any of those things. I, I think, though, that lots of people do because, you know, there's that inherent issue with being a male and not wanting to have those conversations. But I find it interesting that you say that, and I certainly think that in Jason's journey, he basically has ended up back on the farm in some respects yeah. uh, and certainly helping you. I think that's important, and I'm sure that Jason has plenty to add to that. I'll interject. I remember, and I've said this to dozens of young guys over the years that talk about going to grad school or talk about this and that. When I graduated from high school, I mean, I didn't know anything about anything, really. The two things I ever wanted to do was play football and drive a tractor. And they wouldn't let me play football anymore <laughs> after I graduated <laughs> from high school because uh, I had to work really, really hard to be very mediocre. Uh, it wasn't big enough, wasn't fast enough, and so I had to let that dream die. And then when I found out you could major in agronomy, boom, there's that. That's what we're doing. And I know that probably disappointed my mama on some level because I think she probably had aspirations of me being whatever, doctor, lawyer, dentist, something like that. And when I found out that there was something like agronomy, then we're full speed ahead on that. There's no nothing else that could possibly interest me at, at this point. But in all those years since... I've tried to live close and then tried to be available to lend a hand where I could. I mean, I've thought about it over the years, and I, mean, I think we've done what we were designed to do. 
you know, you and I and the other folks that have been here over the years, I mean, we've, you've pretty much got validation over and over and over again that you made the right decisions, even though maybe it wasn't the decision that you thought you would make if somebody had asked you prior to. Uh, but I think all of us that have been at Stoneville can look back and say, yeah, man, that was absolutely the right thing to do. Oh, yeah. And I'd make no qualms that we've ended up in these positions and doing what we do, not based on our decision, but that decision was made for us, definitely by a higher power. And you have ended up somewhere that that's what you meant to do. And growing up on the farm and not necessarily going into being a row crop producer, I think your experience and expertise from working with your, your dad and and learning all that has definitely factored into how you run your program, and that's super important and definitely something that I think anybody listening to this should consider that you get that experience or expertise, and you should use that in some other perspective in agriculture that you don't have to get out of agriculture. And the struggle that comes from not necessarily, you know, more so to do with just the physical labor and everything else. I mean, this, this can be a really grueling experience depending upon what part or side of agriculture you get into but what you learn at the farm level working with your family can be applied somewhere else in the greater area of agriculture and really help out and I think that's something that we need more people to experience and be exposed to that to get that understanding that hey you know I learned that and maybe I can turn that into more precision agriculture based understanding or take something that I learned on the farm and apply it somewhere else. That's important. You know, you can be an engineer and go do engineering to work on new farm equipment. You don't have to be an engineer to do something else. And I think that in the infancy of the whole why ag discussion in the kitchen with my wife when she was down with a bum leg was it's really important for people to see those different aspects and angles and directions that they can go and that falling back into agriculture somehow or other that's where you were intended to be. That's why that happened. That's why we're all here. A question I had that kind of goes back to the start of the conversation. Where do you think you would have ended up if you hadn't come back home and started farming? I would probably still be in East Texas. We lived there two and a half years. Loved it. I'd be retired. <laughs> That's probably where we, we would be. And so we'd have missed out on... Uh, you and your sister growing up with grandparents, and uh, we would have missed out on taking care of those parents in their later years, which was a struggle. But when I look back on it, that was one of the greatest things that my wife and I have done in our life was to be able to help take care of our parents. That was probably worth it all. Our struggle with that was so much easier than a lot of people taking care of their elderly parents. But we were able to be there on a hourly basis. You know, you were there too. So in the time that you've been farming, all of the major advancements, man, post-green revolution, Tom, yeah, <clears throat> have pretty right. much come out in your career as a farmer. I know I'll miss one and somebody will call me on it, but... I mean, when you started growing cotton, there wasn't a module builder, and it was no. a two-row two two, pickers. Two-row picker in uh, 1974, we got a picker with a cab on it. No air conditioner, no heater. 
but it had a cab. Well, it did have a heater. You could close a valve and open a valve, and you could get some hot water circulating around the cab and blow it in. But uh, but that was the first picker that Mr. Pamplin had with a cab on it. Irrigation, that wasn't invented in that time, but it w- definitely wasn't a thing around here when you started. Polypipe. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I was telling some of the young guys that work for us, Tom, a couple of weeks ago, I, mean, I remember when we got the first roll of polypipe that we got, you kind of like a monkey with a coconut. Yeah. We didn't know how to roll it out. We didn't know how to poke holes. I mean, we knew how to poke holes in it, but you didn't have a, any kind of refined system. I'm not sure when uh, my father-in-law started using chemicals, but I would say it was in the 60s. But when I came in 74, you put out Trefland, you put DSMA out twice over the top, seven days apart, and uh, you put Cotteran pre-emerge behind the planter. That and, was your weed control. And killed some stuff. Yeah, that killed some <laughs> stuff. Two shots of DSMA, seven days apart, will turn that cotton stalk dark, dark, dark brown almost. And, of course, it delayed the fruiting. But that was weed control. When I came, there were still a few whole crews, but mainly the DSMA had taken the, the cuckleburrs and, and uh, Johnson grass had suppressed them. That was it. I remember when they started home talking about, we're going to come out with a chemical that you can spray over the top and it won't hurt the cotton staple. I thought, man, that'll be the lifesaver. Well, it was for a while. Worked for a while. And then, you know, I remember when Roundup, when it first came out, seemed, seemed like it was $65 a gallon. We thought, man, we can't use that stuff. It's too expensive. What are we paying now? a gallon. You mentioned Roundup, so I mean, Roundup Ready. I mean, you you farmed for many years prior to the first introduction of of Roundup Ready. BT, what do you think had made a bigger impact for you as a cotton farmer, BT or Roundup? Oh, Roundup. You think so? Yeah. And then you got to throw bow weevil eradication. Well, that was my next one. Where I farm on the east side of Highway 165 in uh, Arkansas, we don't have a lot of boat weevils. There's no trees there. You go on the west side, there's lots of boat weevil. But that really, that one thing really, I, I think boat weevil eradication more so than BT cotton had a major impact on the way we raise, raise cotton. Now, the BT's good, but we're still poisoning for worms. And then, of course, now the plant bugs is uh, the major pest. What about the equipment? What do you think uh, was the biggest advancement on the equipment? I think for me, 12-row, 12-row equipment. Uh, you just get across so much acre. And then the baler picker, when they first came out, I thought, man, there's no way we'll ever be able to af- afford that. But today, if we were trying having to find labor to run Maji builders, it's not there. Uh, you know, we'd have to go to some really creative ways to get labor for a module crew because you couldn't couldn't go to town and pick up some folks to help you like we did 10 years ago. Any major words of wisdom for the young listeners, Mr. Bruce? Trying to make a decision, you know, do I go into accounting or do I stay the course and get an education in agronomy, come back to the farm and use that education to further our production practices. The discipline of getting a four-year degree, just the discipline of that, of the study, 
the taking the tests, completing the projects, all of those things, you can apply that to farming. Because I guarantee you, every day when you go to work, it's not going to be like you thought it was going to be. There's going to be changes. You're going to have to be flexible. You're going to have to adapt. It's like studying for a test. I may not, can know that by just studying two hours, but it might really help on this particular test that I put in seven or eight hours. And I, I think you can take that discipline that you learn getting that education, and you can apply that to any field you want to. And farming, it's really flexible because we're doing something different every day. And we're doing something different than what we thought we would do that day. And then it's got to change. I think about polypipe. We get all that pipe out. Whew, we start the water, and the first first pipe we put water in, pipe bust. You're going to throw up your hands and quit, or are you going to jump in the mud hole and, and fix it? And so that discipline he, that you learn. He usually jumps in the mud hole and fixes it. <laughs> I don't see either of you two being quitters. And he's dirty. You went under the truck, didn't you? Yeah. Truck got stuck. Then tractor broke down, pulling the truck out. Typical day on the farm. <laughs> so today, farming, you better have some accounting ideas. I'm in the process of paying my June bills. I have never in my life spent as much money in one month as I spent in June. That's scary. So you better have some accounting it probably help you'd have a little psychology somewhere there for the stress. And I enjoyed the the uh, young lady y'all had on your podcast. You Mary Nelson Robertson, yeah. yep. Yeah, it related to me. She had a lot of good things to say. And so that, better have some mechanical knowledge. So all of those things go into play. But if you want to farm, as my dad told me, if you're going to get into farming, get in it. Don't think about getting in today or getting in this year and then getting out. If you're going to get in, get in and stick with it. That's what I've tried to do. Good times, bad times, good years, bad years. From where I sit, I can't think of a more rewarding profession. And, and even from the side of things that Jason and I do, the general rewards on on daily basis, you know, in a lot of cases, there are plenty of days that we don't necessarily hear somebody say thank you. Yeah. But in a lot of cases, going one summer, if I hear that one or two times, that everything just, it's worth it. Yeah. Absolutely. The, the hardship, the hard work, the effort, the hot, sweaty days that, you know, the outside employment definitely runs across you. At, at, it's all worth it. Yeah. And that's, it's really important the work that all of us do. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time and thankful that we got the rain that you could yep. sit down and talk with us. And thank, uh, thank you. I enjoyed this. I'm glad that you and Jason don't have an issue getting along with one another and can look at across at each other from across the room and have a good, meaningful father son conversation. That's definitely important to continue to do. We've, so, been, we've never had much trouble getting along. That's beneficial. So can I tell my weed science story? Yeah, man, do it. Before Palmer, we had a pigweed, uh, spiny amaranth, stickerweed, we called it. And we had one field, for whatever reason, they were bad in this field. And we would rogue that field three times a year. It's a 60-acre field, 62-acre field. Three times, the whole crew, we'd walk through there and we'd cut pigweeds. Now, we had put prowl out pre-plant, and we'd put prowl out, uh, post-direct, and all this, trying to 
cut down on the pigweeds, uh, the spiny amaranth. We still had to rogue the fields. So one day, I think it was the third time we were going through there, Jason throws his hoe down. You know he has a temper. I've never thrown anything. He threw the hoe down, and he says, Daddy, <laughs> there's got to be a better way to control weeds than chopping them. And I said, well, See, I think try. that's pretty profound from a youngster. Yeah, that's <laughs> I told him, go find out what you can do. That's how most of the ag implements were probably <laughs> created. I mean, that's just how I perceive things to have occurred. Somebody wanted to create an easier way to do something or a better method, and that's how something was created. So that's pretty much how I got to where I am. Thank you. Thank our regular listeners. We really appreciate the continued comments. It's something we definitely continue to explore and absolutely love doing. So thank you all for your continued listening thanks man okay thank y'all the mississippi crop situation podcast is a production of mississippi state university extension 